0: um madam clerk council are we good to go yes sure everyone's in yeah, the room good to go. um everyone welcome to the february 22nd 2023 qpsc uh madam clerk roll call please
1: trustee banerjee here trustee bouquet here and trustee esteem here we do have a quorum thank you
0: Wonderful. So we always open this meeting with a reminder of the purpose of the QPSC um, and from from our uh, policies and procedures. Uh, The QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies, and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with continuing the practice of direct communication with our medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. Um, public comment. Just as a reminder, uh, the agenda has full and clear instructions on how to sign up for public comment. And just to reiterate, uh, Madam Clerk, we have no one set for public comment. Correct. All right. With that, team, let's jump into the agenda. Uh, we always open with item A, the 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 uh, an article, a, a shared learning discussion. The title of this article was "The Impact of Being Black While Living with a Chronic Condition," uh, uh, Journal Journal of Hospital Medicine. This actually. This article migrated to me through uh, Pam Sims Mackey, who is our Chair of Pediatrics and our Director of Graduate Medical Affairs. Uh, uh, Certainly uh, fits uh, with what we're trying to do here with regard to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and also offers a perspective that that I don't think we can hear too much about. So, I'll I'll open it up to trustees Banerjee and Esteem to make any comments. I just have a few brief comments on that and uh, the articles before you, trustee Banerjee and trustee Esteem.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Bukit, for bringing this to, um, you know, at the QPSC level. Just um, really powerful article and also kind of shows, um the system issues from the self to the organization to the system that we need to do sometimes when we work at AHS and we all are, see such a diverse population we feel like hey we're doing health equity simply by treating patients from marginalized background but it really needs doing equity actually give providing equitable care requires intention and focus so I think this was so timely for us to understand that. And I, uh, you know, uh, both and like the diaspora of the black diaspora is big. Uh, so we are looking at like black in the US context and the larger black diaspora as well. And then finally, I think um, I looked at the our heady pledge. And one of the things it says is that we acknowledge that the intersectional nature of systemic and structural racism impact every system across our country without exception. And we further acknowledge that structural racism has impacted many of our providers and staff as well. So I think just remembering that it is our patient population and it is also our staff and uh, provider population over here. So so the moving forward, I think the first thing is kind of looking at our own privilege and bias and our checking because you can do sense of, you know, you can have racialized outcomes without intention. So thank you for bringing this.
0: Thanks for those comments, Trustee Banerjee. Trustee esteem.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for this.
2: This article, and you know, the I think the constant focus on how to overcome systemic racism and the barriers that have been created by the the legacy of of slavery and colonialism. it's just so cumbersome. And yet every single person who experiences this, every family, every child, it's like a, a new experience all over again. Um, I mean, even anecdotally, I have a friend whose daughter had a liver transplant when she was one. And she was in the hospital this weekend with 10 out of 10 pain that couldn't be touched. And uh, she's also a nurse and she asked repeatedly for information and labs and was struggling to get the information. And, you know, the question always comes up, well, what's the difficulty in disclosing? Is it because you don't want to share something that might make a mom feel uncomfortable or you think maybe the mom might not understand, or or is it something other than that? And those questions, you know, as we as we as providers and and folks who work within the system, as we try to figure out how to overcome these kinds of barriers and obstacles to provide the best care, I think we have to constantly be interrogating, you know, what is happening, what 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 are our actions guided by, and what are the outcomes as a result. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for the, the thoughtful article.
0: Thank you. Um, I, I I always like to, or strive to operationalize the discussion if we can, and uh, this is where I like to steal from the authors of their papers. They 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 give four strategies to help, uh, uh, if you will, attenuate moderate uh, the, the the these gaps. First is incorporate educational opportunities to raise awareness and deepen understanding of the lived experiences of Black families. I, I think this goes part and parcel with what this organization has been trying to do and is still trying to do better. Uh, I think uh, our, uh, our our discussion at it at almost every level of this organization uh, is the opportunity to, to educate ourselves and deepen our understanding. Number two is make deliberate efforts to establish trust. Um, again, I think that goes part and parcel with the outer ring of our strategic plan, diversity, equity, inclusion, and um. I think trust starts with intent, and I think we're, we're, we're trying to be very intentional about uh, uh, reducing the gaps that we have. Third is promote interdisciplinary and cross-divisional collaborations to address bias and inequities. I think there's the work at the med staff level of the JEDI, uh, justice, equity, diver- uh, 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 and, and inclusion, and then at our heady committees. So I think we're we're striving to be interdisciplinary uh, and cross-sectional on this, and uh, uh, I think it's again, becar- it's becoming part of our programming that we're doing. And last, address system issues. And again, this this is what I, I my, from my perspective, we're striving to address at this board level where we do talk about system issues. I think uh, this is a, a condition uh, and a situation that we're going to be talking about forever uh, when when we when we work here. And yeah. like like always, what is the math? on how we quantify where, where we are on, on these issues. You know, we, about 30% of our patients are, uh, you know, roughly 35% of our patients who are admitted are are black. Roughly about 30% of our, our, our employees are black. Um, And and where does that moderate? I, this article came out of the University of Cincinnati. I actually don't know the makeup of Cincinnati from a patient population or, or their own staff, but these are all super interesting questions to, to go into as, as we continue our march forward. Trustee Banerjee, I think you wanted to say something.
1: Yeah, one thing that I want to add is that while we do a lot of the learning, how is it showing up in practice and to build that kind of accountability? Because for so many of us who've got clinical trainings and things, the uh, the Racial justice, health equity work wasn't part of our training. These are things that we've had to do and learn and do on our own. And so sometimes, even as we've seen with our steep, like of all of the elements, like the equity part is sometimes the hardest to do because that is where we have to dig in, disaggregate the data, look at who's bearing a more disproportionate burden of the barriers within our system and both in the process uh, and access and opportunities but also in the outcomes and the quality of care so i think uh, accountability not always in a punitive sense but as growth and opportunities for learning and expanding and doing what quality is equity is quality and that way i would love to see so more metrics on accountability, not just in the dashboard data, but in the way we operate, like not just what we do, how we do it, and who we are in the doing of it. Because uh, the last, I'll, I'll say one thing is that often when we see somebody, we are thinking of that one discrete interaction or one uh, one you know diagnosis that we are doing. But for so many of our patients, as well as our staff and members of our own family, it's a cumulative effect. You are not just surviving, not, not just navigating or surviving a system, uh, but you're actually learning to like survive in a system that's designed to kill you, like uh, whether your bodies uh, create an allostatic load, uh, hasten your demise. So that, those are things we have to keep in mind every day as we look to the left and right of our co-workers as well as our patients and communities. <laughs>
0: Okay, thank you for those comments. With that, let's close out item A. Let's go to item B, the consent agenda. Trustees, the consent agenda is before you, uh, before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of the consent agenda. Uh, Are there any items that you feel need to be removed for discussion? Please note that uh, uh, we have items B1 through B6 included in your packet. Trustees, anything that needs to be removed for discussion? Not from me. Trustee Esteen? No. Uh, With that then, can I entertain a motion to approve the entirety of the consent agenda, Bravo one through Bravo six.
1: So moved.
0: I'll second. Madam Clerk.
1: Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Estean. Aye. The motion passes.
0: Excellent. All right, we're cooking along. So this this is the section of the evening where we come to uh, uh, that part of our charter, which is direct communication with our medical staff leaders. Um, I'm seeing two of our medical staff leaders in the room, so I see uh, Dr. Nikki Joshi, who's an ED physician and our, our chief of the medical staff at Alameda Hospital. I see Dr. Edris, Edris Avzali, who uh, uh, is on the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee. Dr. Lee, does anyone see Dr. Lee
1: Dr. Either Dr. Lee or Dr. Williams, I'm sorry. I'm not sure which one will be signing on in about 10 minutes.
0: Yes, ma'am. So with that, let's open them up with Dr. Joshi. Good evening, Dr. Joshi.
3: Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having me here today speak on behalf of the Alameda Hospital med staff. So my report is enclosed in the packet. And for tonight, I really want to highlight uh, under a community and to highlight that we've had our... Uh, first of um, many to come meetings with the Alameda Healthcare District Board and HS Leadership Planning Committee, along with uh, myself, Dr. Purnia, and Dr. Isalani representing the medical staff. Um, it's been a great so far, good discussions and good shared understanding, and mostly expressing jointly the commitment of prioritizing a structural plan to have an operational hospital after 2030. So. Um, More to come on that, but I really want to highlight the success that we've had so far, and most importantly, the shared understanding of how we want to move together jointly. I want to also highlight um, under our uh, patient and staff experience, so we're continuing to monitor our HCAP performance statistics, and we've had action plans that were presented. Um, We're working on Um, jointly with our nursing colleagues on patient rounding and also from the physician med staff standpoint, what that means, what it means to communicate with our patients, the patient experience. So looking forward to improving that as well. And again, working jointly. And those are the main things I wanted to highlight. So I'm open for any questions at this point.
0: Trustees, any questions of Dr. Joshi?
1: Thank you for your report, Dr. Joshi. I know the survey is on, so I hope um, uh, things
0: are going well.
3: Yes, so far everything is great. Thank you for asking. Thank you.
0: Uh, as everyone might know, and we'll hear about this in our in our quality, as uh, we're current, our lab at Alameda Hospital is currently under a multi day assessment. Ms. Torres can update us in her section. Uh, Dr. Joshi, back to the 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 uh, joint meeting that you're having. Can you talk to us about the cadence? Of this meeting and just uh, uh, yeah, to talk to us about the cadence the, and the tone. And you you already sort of gave the the spoiler alert. The intent is to have hospital operations post twenty thirty, and and these a be the seismic issues that we're confronting. These will be th- these are sizable discussions. Um, so first, talk to us about the cadence and and uh, initial feels on the on, on, on the talk.
3: So the cadence is once a month, but there are a lot there's a lot of work that's being done outside of the once a month meeting so for example we've had one meeting we have a second meeting coming up but a significant amount of work has already happened Um, there's also a lot of updates that are happening outside of this main meeting. So we had our MEC meeting last week, Friday. We had a really great update from our CAO, Mr. Harding. Uh, Dr. Deutsch was there. So of course, Dr. Deutsch is there on our MEC, but he's also there on the district board. So we've been able to have a lot of cross dialogue, which I think is really important to break silos and therefore leading to a culture of collaboration and moving forward. So Cadence-wise, once a month, but a lot of work has already been done. A lot of work continues to happen in between. The tone is collaboration. And also keeping in mind the the city of Alameda, the citizens, what we need to do for our county, our community. So that's really the forefront and what is being mentioned by everybody. Um, And then in terms of what exactly does this look like? We don't know for sure what this is going to look like. We also, the med staff, you know, we're here to provide the med staff perspective on everything as well. Um, but there are so many variations of what could be. And so I think we're still in an exploratory fact-gathering stage. And um again, what we want is one thing, but what will serve the community, AHS, the county is really the forefront.
0: Got it. Um uh, I'll say, uh, as just one of the nine trustees, uh, uh, thoughtfulness, of course, I know will come part and parcel, but expediency, because we're in the fiscal 24 in a second. And uh, knowing what we know about the state of the facility there, uh, if this was to continue as hospital operations, this would take many years lead time. Um, so, uh, I, and, and I know I'm preaching to the choir. I'm just saying that out to, uh, for, for, as my other trustees know and the public knows, we're we're sort of a little bit on fire to make decisions because uh, you know six and a half years is here in a second, and uh, um, I'm, I'm I'm encouraged that you got that the meetings have started. Trustee Banerjee or Trustee Esteen, anything from uh, Dr. Joshi?
1: I wanted to add, Dr. Joshi, thank you for that, and I know that I've spoken with both Mr. Jackson and um, Mr. Fratsky as well. That we really need to also bring this to the full board. So when you've had uh, uh, when we spoke last month, we this that first meeting was impending, and uh, so we will be making sure that these uh, the work that's happening both in the meetings and otherwise, and uh, will come to as an agenda discussion item uh, for the full board for us to uh, um, you know hear updates and see how we can advocate.
3: I think that's great, and I think that will continue to lead to a. Cross platform attention focus. And like I said, the fact that we had an excellent report from Mr. Harding at our MEC, and now I'm speaking here, what you're saying for the full board will really help us to move along um, expediently, but also collaboratively.
0: Uh, As one little last note, uh, Dr. Joshi, about uh, an hour and 45 minutes ago, I was uh, in the new physician, the updated physician lounge at Alameda Hospital. Great! it's a a nice new floor. I think that carpet was about 30 years old. So uh, congrats to the med staff on on having that.
3: Great, I'm glad that that was good. uh,
0: And I had a coffee, so I felt happy about myself. I got free coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, uh, Thank you, Dr. Joshi. With that, let's go with uh, Dr. Afzali, who's uh, representing our San Leonardo Hospital leadership team. He's a needy physician for the audience. Uh, Good evening, Dr. Afzalis. Hi, good evening all.
4: I have a, an abridged and brief presentation for you all for some of the important items I wanted to uh, highlight. Um, on the quality front, we had a number of important uh, updates and rollouts, uh, including a sepsis alert that was uh, that was launched that's going very well, a hybrid neurology program with Alameda hospital that I mentioned at the last board meeting and uh, ongoing work with pediat- pediatric uh, readiness. Uh, on the flip side, uh, Yesterday, one of the concerns I had mentioned previously about the x-ray machine unfortunately came true and our x-rays went down. Um, I appreciate uh, radiology leadership's uh, very sort of concerted efforts to get things rolling well into the night. I know uh, there was messages uh, coming in um, well after midnight last night about them trying to get it working again. And we were down for about 12 hours and now back online. Uh, the reason why I'm mentioning this is uh, I know that a lot of these are out of our hand, but uh, we should work towards uh, uh, diligently towards avoiding delays and in, in getting our uh, in-house uh, CT and X-ray machines online um, so that we're not um, dependent on these portable machines, both for the CT and X-ray. Um, but now we're back online, back in business, so to speak, and uh, within a month or so, Uh, of our in-house radiology unit, and six months or so with our in-house CT unit. Um, And then an item that ties into that with uh, patient and staff experience, uh, as well as quality, um, and that is uh, staffing. I wanted to comment on that and uh, sort of a a broader request in, in, in that field that I've been talking to multiple leaders about. Uh, staffing overall feels great. This time last year, we were talking about uh, very sort of unsafe conditions from time to time uh, where we had the emergency department starting the charge nurse and and, uh, and one more uh, assignment nurse, um, which was um, hair raising to say, say the least. It feels great this time around. I'm just ending a shift and it was comfortable. Um, it was a busy day, uh, but it was comfortable and it, it went well um, and it felt good. Uh, The ask that I have at the end of that comment is that uh, other departments look at um, staffing and adjust accordingly. Now, both the provider side as well as the nursing side have adjusted staffing and increased uh, numbers as well as our presence. Uh, And I think um, almost every other department maybe needs to look at same and and increase accordingly because our volume continues to rise uh, steadily as I've been saying for months now. this affects multiple areas, it affects quality, it affects patient experience, it affects our metrics, it affects satisfaction, and it affects outcomes overall. Um, that's all I have to say on that front. Um, and I'll stop for any questions. Thank you.
0: Trustees, any questions of Dr. Abzali?
2: Yeah. Thank you for- uh,
0: Trustee and then Trustee Banerjee.
2: Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Avzali, for uh, reminding us that increased volumes uh, in the ED and increased volumes throughout the hospital require increased staffing. Um, and I'm curious if you have an awareness of where the staffing deficiencies are being felt the most. Or um, who I think hearing from, if not you.
4: Uh, I think almost every department maybe needs to look at this. Uh, for example, um, uh, radiology lab. Uh, the techs. There's uh, at nights. They are very. Uh, it's a skeleton skeleton crew. There's one tech that's doing X-rays and CTs sometimes. Um, I I I don't have an in-depth understanding of exactly what their staffing looks like and and what their challenges are. Uh, but at times there's there's one tech, um, and. You know, for anybody who's ever walked into the San under emergency department at nighttime, it sometimes, and quite frequently actually, doesn't look very different from afternoon daytime. Um, It can be, it can be pretty busy. Um, And in in the same sense, uh, lab techs um, who uh, at about five or six in the morning sometimes cover the entire hospital um, and and rotate through the floors to collect blood and, and need to be in the emergency department for a substance alert. uh, And, you know, we're sort of grumbling about them not being there on time, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It's only human. Okay. Those are my honest thoughts.
2: That sounds very important. And uh, I'm curious how we can begin to address that here on the board level and encourage maybe some feedback about staffing reports beyond just our HR committee.
0: It's uh, uh, efficiency, I think staffing would relate to efficiency. It's one of the it's one of the domains of steep. So I think that's agreed trustee esteem perfectly within the province of discussion here. Um, trustee Banner, uh, any, anything else, Trustee esteem?
2: Yeah, I did also want to check in on the uh, the use of the reliance of the portable radiology equipment you were mentioning. Can you remind me how long you've been relying on radiology equipment that's portable?
4: It's long. You know, it's been it's been a while. It's been a long time. I mean, years. I can't. I can't. Uh, no, I don't think it's been years. Uh, I think uh, I'm not sure. I'd be guessing. It's it's been a while.
2: It's been a while. And the, when the X-ray machine went down yesterday, how did that impact patient care? How many folks do you think we were delaying for twelve hours?
4: Um, so we, we, we did go on divert. So I, I don't have the metrics as of uh, after midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll get those tomorrow morning. Uh, the, uh, I came in at 7 a.m. and at about 9 a.m. there was two patients that showed up who were told to come back later in the morning uh, who ended up going. I, I sent them to Alameda um, for the x-rays. The exact number of patients, uh, I can't tell you today I can tell you next meeting
2: okay but it sounds like it's definitely a big issue
4: yeah oh yeah i, I don't we can't function without x-rays
2: mm-hmm.
4: that's just yeah it's just a, such a critical thing uh somebody mentioned i don't know how true this is but there's hesitancy on ems's part on going on diversion because of x-rays it's, they just don't have a protocol for it
0: Any other questions, Trustee Esteem?
2: No, I'm not quite sure what to what to say in response, uh, except that I know we've been talking about uh, capital expenditures and investing in the facility and expanding in the third floor and all sorts of ways that we wanna support the volume increases, but without the facility infrastructure, it feels complicated and problematic.
0: That's it. Uh, I, Mr. Fras, our COO has his hand up. It's probably related to this comment.
5: And it, then Trustee, it is. Ban- and then it Trustee is.
0: Banerjee.
5: Oh, I'm sorry, Trustee Banerjee had your hand up. Please, please go, Trustee Banerjee.
1: Yeah, you might have the answer. I was actually uh, going to say thank you to Dr. Afzali because I know it's not easy to come to a board meeting and to be able to speak your truth. And we hope that this space is always a space where you can speak your truth without fearing retribution, without fearing that you will, you know, by saying this, that there is going to be, you know, that there there are things you can't say here. So thank you for that. The good news about the staffing um and and the downsides, but uh, yeah, my my question was to see if Mario Harding is in the room and to say that yes, it's nice to have our nursing and provider staff, but what if the ancillary services are not, um, and, you know, all the required ones are not stopped as well? So, yeah.
0: Mr. Fratsky, sir.
5: Um. So, um, Trustee Esteen, I think one of the actions here can be me transitioning Dr. Afzali's comments and concerns to lab and imaging um, and to help me understand to help me understand if in fact we are short and where we're short and what we're doing about recruitment because I've not heard um, the concerns in those two areas. So I need to understand it more myself and I will. Um, In the meantime, it is true. We've got a lot of great equipment coming in. The whole imaging department is gonna have all new equipment, fixed units, a PET scanner and everything in six months. And there is some patchwork um, to get us there, no doubt about it, as there has been for years now, but um, we're going to fix it all. And um, thank you, Dr. Afzali, for bringing um, attention to um, your, your comments around staffing. I, I will follow up with it. Thank you. Trustee oh. Banerjee.
1: Yeah, one thing that we really want to, and thank you again uh, for our physician leaders to bring that we always want to have a space for our uh, clinic to hear directly from our clinical leadership. And some of the issues that you raise are, should not be under your purview. it should be like our, you know, coming from um, other sources who are clearing the way so that the clinicians can do the work, removing barriers, resourcing you to be doing the work. So at the full board meeting, we will be kind of doing joint Uh, hoping that bringing like our CAO and our medical staff because sometimes when you ask you are you resourced to do this work the the onus is not on you it is on like the other people the operational people over there to be able to do that so to have that be present so that those questions about like what is what what are the uh, issues that are coming up that that you know you see from an administrator's hat, from an operational hat, what are the challenges? Where are the um where are where are things working and where things are not working, we'll be able to like have uh questions from our site level folks as well. So thank you again for
0: speaking your truth.
2: Yeah thanks very much Dr. Apsali and, and thank you Mark. I look forward to uh, your follow-up
0: yeah, Dr. Vazali, I always uh, appreciate, uh, you know, speaking truth. You what, One interesting comment, you said you had a happy day, I think, quote, end quote. And I guess my question is, that's qualitative. I, I, I ask us all to dig into the quantitative, uh, which underlies the qualitative, right? So what's the delta on where staffing is today versus where it was one year ago? You know, and and those can help us understand because what we want is more Happy days for people. So that's that's the funny formula, right? We have to find out. Was, was your happy day today dumb luck because you know there was a wreck on on 580 and people couldn't come to the hospital? Or were we positioned? What what was it designed happiness? You know, did we actually put this right amount of staff? So these are the quantitative questions I always sort of ask us to consider on how we arrive at our kind of qualitative assessments. What's the data behind that? How many people did we have to put on a rig during that 12 hour period and send to Alameda Hospital? How much did it cost us in time, effort, and all that kind of stuff? And I think that's always a nice way to scale our problems. So I ask you to uh, keep, keep bringing your truth and, uh, and uh, support it too with, uh, with, with, with the data underlying. So appreciate your presentation. Thank you all. One last comment, awesome. uh, Trustee Banerjee's uh,
4: uh, comment earlier about um, the first comment about me bringing my truth here and being able to speak it. I feel like we are all uh, on uh, with the same mission and the same goal, and I feel a sense of confidence in this group and in this administration, as well as the board, uh, which is what gives me the confidence to come here and speak my truth. So thank you all, and have a good evening.
0: Thanks, Dr. Afzali. It's about setting the space, right? Um, We we have uh, someone who's returned to us. Dr. Irina Williams is uh, gonna be, I think, uh, presenting on behalf of Dr. Lana Lee. Everyone recalls Dr. Williams was our Alameda Health System Chief of Staff for two years. Welcome back, Dr.
6: Williams. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Bouquet, and uh, apologies for my tardiness. I was used to 5.30 meeting start time. (laughs) I joined a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Um, So thank you for um, having me here today. Um, Dr. Lana Lee um, is not available today to present the report. So she asked me to present in my interim vice chief of staff role. Um, So I will go ahead and jump to my report uh, for the AHS uh, medical staff. Uh, You probably have a written report in front of you. So I will sort of just go through some of the highlights um, of this report Um, under our community pillar. Uh, we had our medical staff justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion committee um, discuss Black History Month. um, This month during our meeting, Uh, we were working on um, sort of formulating our goals for the year of 2023 for this committee work. And um, we were exploring an opportunity of including implicit bias training for all medical staff members and sort of the ways of operationalizing it. We were uh, brainstorming uh, a possibility of this being a part of an onboarding process for the medical staff, as well as some other opportunities. So um, sort of still working on it, but this was um, a high priority item on our radar. Um, In addition, um, we were also discussing um, how we can include demographic data when evaluating quality improvement metrics um, within our departments, within the medical staff. Under a quality pillar, I wanted to highlight that ACGME survey recognized AHS as a national leader in the area of diversity and inclusion. And our GME committee continues to do a wonderful job with our trainees. And um, uh, GME committee share best practices related to recruitment, retention, and faculty development to staff and residents. Uh, Our cardiology cath lab was awarded gold status. Um, This is an award by the American College of Cardiology that recognizes hospitals participating in the chest pain um, myocardial infarction registry who have demonstrated sustained top level performance and quality of care and adherence to guideline recommendations. So very exciting accomplishment for our cath lab. In terms of our staff and patient experience experience pillar, um, we still have a few department chair searches going. Um, I'm happy to share that our emergency medicine and um, orthopedic surgery um, department chair search is probably in the final stages of being completed. Um, And our imaging and radiology um, chair search is still ongoing. we sort of are in an earlier stage of that search with this particular department. Um, True North metrics um, uh, were shared with the MEC at the last meeting. Um, Wanted to highlight that our goal for doctor communication is set um, at 81.6% for fiscal year 2023. Um, we are doing above this goal, at, we performing above this goal at Highland at 84.6%, but unfortunately still slightly lower in San Leandro at 60.8%. Um, so definitely still have some work to do. Um, Under our sustainability pillar, um, I wanted to highlight the report from our Department of Anesthesiology that Dr. Lang presented, our department chair. Um, She shared um, um, a lot of information about her extensive and successful recruitment efforts as this department has experienced staff shortage affecting um, ability to support some of the peer-operative services. the good news is that we will be adding about five anesthesiologists and six RNAs in the year of 2023. So hopefully there is, it sounds like there is a light in the end, this tunnel, and um, uh, thanks to Dr. Lang's successful recruitment efforts, um, Department of Anesthesiology will be much better staffed and will be able to provide um, more services and uh, across all three hospitals and multiple non-OR anesthesia sites where um, we provide care. She also mentioned um, her efforts uh, around launching our perioperative evaluation clinic with the projected launch date in April, 2023. And that concludes my report. I'm open to any questions.
0: Thank you, Dr. Williams. Trustees Banerjee and any questions for Dr. Williams for the Highland San Leandro report?
2: It's good to hear about all the recruiting efforts and how successful they are.
6: Yeah, and it's been such a challenge in the current market to recruit anesthesiologists. So definitely not an easy task to complete. Dr.
0: Lang has worked very, very hard. It's been, uh, it's been uh, definitely a cloud over her head. So I, I, I'm glad that she's also seeing some light too. It's been, it's Dr. Williams. You put on a smile. I know how challenging it's been for the anesthesia department for the past six months.
6: Yeah I'm very appreciative of all of our department members as this has not been easy and a lot of our providers have been sort of doing double duty but yes. it's getting it's getting better
0: <laughs> It definitely is Rusty Banerjee yeah
1: i uh, same as costia uh, Esteen said so glad that these uh, you know vital positions are being filled but also and also congratulations for the recognition that that comes in it reminds us again of the exemplary phenomenal staff that we have over here so um yeah lots of gratitude for the work that uh, the dedication people put in
6: thank you
0: dr williams thank you for your report with that, uh, we close item C, which is the medical staff reports. We go to our next item, item D, a standing item agenda item. This is the Patient Safety Regulatory Affairs and Quality TNM Dashboard. This is led by Ms. Anna Torres, our VP of Quality, and of course, supported by Darshan Graywall, uh, Nilda Perez, and Annette Johnson. I think I see some of them in the room. I know everyone's all over the place, but I see Anna. Anna's right in the middle of my screen. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, Anna.
7: Good Ms. evening, Torres. everyone. Hi, Um, thank you for allowing me to present tonight. So I don't have any PowerPoints, but I'll talk through um, some of the reports. So um, they are all in your packet. So our harm rate is 3.3%, a bit higher than what we'd like. Um, And that was primarily due to an increase that we saw in November, but December and January so far, we are still uh, starting to see that harm rate um, go down. Um, It is a work in progress as we implement um, all of the uh, uh, evidence-based practices, including just culture, culture of safety, um, and so forth. Um, As far as patient relations events, we are continuing to see an increase in in grievances in particular. Um, Thus far, we have been able to close them in 28 days. CMS does require that we close them out um, within 30 days. So we are still uh, doing better by two days. Um, Primarily, we're seeing those grievances in quality of care, communication, and access issues. Um, Continuing with the patient safety report, next month we will kick off the uh, Culture of Safety Survey. Um, As you know, we do that annually. We are really proud of the work that that Alameda has done with the cultural safety survey. Just to share some of the stats again, we had over 150 departments participate last year. Um, Every single department did do a debrief and about 98% of the departments actually implemented uh, their action plan. So that's a lot of of work. Quality leads and more particularly uh, Darshan's team, the patient safety team, um, but we really can't do that work and, and be effective without this leadership team. So I thank you for that. We are at our Beta conference, uh, which starts tomorrow and continues through Friday. Um, and um, I will say that Beta has um, a panel of, of uh, hospitals that will be presenting. Um, and they're asking hospitals that have made meaningful progress with just culture and culture of safety to present. And I'm really proud to say that Alameda has been asked to be part of that panel interview. I know Mr. Jackson will be presenting and I'm not sure if Dr. Bouquet's gonna make it, but he was also asked to uh, be part of the panel interview. So hope to see you there, uh, Dr. Bouquet.
0: If I make my plane tomorrow.
7: (laughs) (laughs) But but it actually is quite an honor um, to be able to be asked to present. So it's just a testament to all the work that Alameda Health has has done. And again, we can't do the work without the leadership support. Mm -hmm. Because It's through leadership that all of the work occurs. So I can't thank you enough for that. And that is actually um, probably our major plan for improving patient safety um, and reducing harm rates across the system. So it is vitally important. Okay, so I'm gonna move on to uh, regulatory affairs and I'm glad Nelda's going to be here to to help me. Um, So I'll start by saying we had two CDPH visits um, last month um, and one joint commission um, for cost survey. We seem to be having those quite uh, frequently. Uh Um, But again, happy that um, Joint Commission did not have any findings when they were on site. So um, that's great. We had five self-reported CDPH events and one uh, complaint to the Joint Commission, which uh, Regulatory Affairs uh, worked with the ED team to uh, submit the action plan. Um, we do have a uh, Joint Commission on site at Alameda Hospital for a lab survey, so I want to turn it over to Nilda
8: to say a few words about the, uh, the survey. Thank you, Anna. Uh, yes, good evening, um, uh, committee. Um, so this week we have Alameda Hospital and we, um, we're having our Joint Commission Laboratory Accreditation Survey, which actually does cover the community-based hospitals as well. Um, And so in this case, um, it's it's a little bit of a patchwork of of accreditation, but it's a three-day survey started on Tuesday, one surveyor, and it will wrap up tomorrow. Her focus will be on aspects of laboratory quality, the operation program elements, staff competency, performance evaluations patient safety issues such as point of care testing, results reporting, policies and procedures, and hand washing, environmental controls to prevent infection. And so every day we've been having a short debrief um, from 3.45 to 4. Uh, Tomorrow we will have the formal exit at the end of the day. I have not yet heard the details, but so far um, in the first day we had three findings uh, and the second day is looking very, very good. Um, She has nothing but positive things to say about lab leadership. And I, I think that, you know, this is so far uh, going as smoothly as one would hope for an unannounced survey.
0: Ms. Perez, may I ask a question? Certainly. Uh, and I'm asking you to illuminate my ignorance, uh, which is always profound. Um, talk to me about um the joint commission um survey just for lab. Mm-hmm. I, wasn't that plugged into the 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 big thing? I just don't recall it being like like this. Um, we
8: have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
0: that's a very good question. I, um, that, that part, of when when we got noticed, when the trustees got notice of it, I didn't recall them coming to specific aspects. I thought yeah. it was the whole kit and caboodle.
8: Well, uh, AHS is unique. We have two hospital. Uh, we have two healthcare care uh, programs under Joint Commission. We have the one for the core, and Alameda is separate. Uh, Alameda remains separate because they report with a different CCN number. But didn't so, we just pass Alameda's joint commission? We we had the we had the 3 year triennial joint commission in right. June. Yes. So why Lab are they back? separate?
0: <laughs> okay.
8: <laughs> you were correct. You are you are mistaken. There oh. were two. Yes, they were here before.
0: <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay.
7: So, so yes, labs, labs are, are surveyed every two years, so you can choose, uh, because of the CLEAR certificate, so you can choose CAP or you can choose Joint Commission, and I think there might be a few others that, that do the surveys. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: So I think what's unique about Alameda, we have CAP at, uh, which hospital has CAP? Highland. No, Highland. Alameda has Joint Commission, so we have a mixture.
0: Got it. Yeah. And exit is tomorrow. Yes. Okay, got it. I won't jinx us.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Um, One other thing that we'll talk about on the regulatory affairs is the blanket waivers, which do expire in May of 2023. And if you recall, these were all implemented uh, due to the pandemic. So those blanket waivers do go away in May. Um, I know that there are a few that Regulatory Affairs um, is working on. They've done an assessment uh, to determine where we should continue to use the waivers. And those applications have already gone in, Nilda? Yeah. Okay, so um, if there aren't any questions, I will pass it on to Annette so that she can uh, review the True North metric report.
0: Good evening, Ms. Johnson.
9: Good evening. Sorry, Sorry. sharing screens and finding buttons to unmute. It's still a bit of a challenge for me. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. All right, so um, today I'm gonna talk about data through November of 2022. We do have a bit of a lag time as we clean and scrub the data. Um, When we talk about our hospital acquired harms, um, we are higher than we would like to be for our goal. We're above target. Our most common harm type is falls. And we actually have a presentation from Dusty later today. So I don't want to go too deep into it. We're going to talk about falls and also explore falls from an equity perspective. But we do um, have a mobility initiative underway to really think about um, how strong are our patients when they come in? How can we maintain that strength? How can we help them be mobile in the hospital, but in a supervised way so that they're not likely to fall, as well as using a sort of um, initiatives such as hourly rounding and nurse leader rounding, again, help patients, um, go to the body, get their possessions so that again, they don't have to get out of the bed unsupervised. There's a lot of work towards making, keeping our patients safe and strong. Um, the other areas of concern um, are clapsy, SSI and CAUTI. Clapsy and SSI have kind of been an issue for a while now. And we really have some strong initiatives underway to bring those down. In fact, we're starting to see a reduction in collapsy as a result of our efforts at this point, where we've really been focusing on device necessity, removing unnecessary lines, and improving communication between our nurses and physicians on getting those lines out in a timely manner. We just saw more recently, though, we saw a spike in uh, CAUTI. And some of this has to do with our blood culture ordering practices rather than than an increase in events. I think we have an opportunity to um, better control our blood culture ordering practices because I think we're picking up on colonization rather than infection. And so the infection control team is actively working with Dr. Ng and several providers throughout the organization to develop a, a protocol for blood cultural order practices and sort of um, hardwire those best practices into our care. Um, Along those lines, for hand washing, we are seeing a rise in the number of observations, as well as a rise in our performance in November, and that performance uh, continues in our preliminary data for both December and January. So we're starting to move in the right direction, and we know that this is the number one way to to reduce hospital-acquired infections. <clears throat> when we look at our access metrics, I think this is an area of opportunity for the organization, as only one out of four are on target so far this year. Um, I know that um, the ambulatory group has got a, a work group in specifically looking at demand for both new patients as well as established patients, and there are several initiatives um, in coordination with population health and our equip as well as our equip teams to help increase in-reach and outreach to these patients. Looking at innovative ways to use technology and ways to expand capacity, whether that's being um, opening up mammography, um, drop-in hours so that when patients arrive for a medical appointment, if they need a mammography, let's get them in so they don't have to come back again. So there's a lot of work in this area to really um, maximize our capacity. And um, I'm going to skip over readmissions because I feel like adult health maintenance goes along with these metrics as well. Um, and no, when we talk about expanding and making sure we're really meeting our patients, needs, nothing better sums that up than our adult health maintenance up to date. This is looking at how many of our patients are receiving their necessary healthcare prevention screenings um, and treatments. And this is a tremendous number to move because we're looking at several types of assessments from, uh, mammograms, to colon cancer screenings, to tobacco smoke cessation, to immunizations. So, um, and we're seeing this number move. We are moving this number. It's a very big number to move. It's a very tough number to move. And it, it is steadily increasing. It's so almost subtle because these graphs are not quite big enough, but it is slowly and steadily moving up with each passing month. So I think it's a tribute to um, a lot of the innovation that our uh, ambulatory team is working on to get to meet our patient's needs, right? And so I'm hoping that as we start to see these efforts, that will sort of transfer over into these other access metrics in the future. Um, I also want to talk about readmissions. Readmissions is red um, for the fiscal year to date, but only marginally so. Our goal was is 10.79%, and we're at 108 So we've done very well so far this fiscal year and preliminary results for December show that that number is going down. So we had sort of a spiked in November, and it's sort of coming back down um, in December and January. And a lot of this has to do with um, care management, complex care, care transitions, and they've really worked both internally and externally to build um, tools around our patients from whether it's our frequent patients who we see a lot in uh, inpatient and recognizing them developing system wide care plans so that if that patient hits anywhere in the system whether it's ambulatory or inpatient they know how to care for that patient and try and try to work with them to keep them in the lowest level of care also external partnerships whether it's assistance with medication to even ho- uh, home housing for the homeless so we're starting to see a lot of this work Culminate this year. For those of you who've been with me for a while, the Trin Earth Metrics readmissions has been around for four or five years. It's always been a struggle. And this is the first year where I've seen it perform really, really well. So I'm really hopeful that these, you know, readmissions is another tough number to move. but I feel like we're starting to get the foundation and infrastructure to really start to drive this number. So fingers crossed. <laughs> when we look at ED wait times, um, you know, this initially was sort of trending higher in the fiscal year and it is coming down although it's still not quite at goal um, and it is definitely above where we were last year. Um, I know that we have a couple initiatives underway from our transfer center to also bed, bed control coordinators to help um, identify open beds and remove re, um, barriers or obstacles to getting patients into those beds. I know that uh, acute care t- Acute care teams are being formed from doctors and nurses for both the inpatient and the ED to look at what are the common obstacles that we're seeing and start to address plans to help bring those numbers down. So stay tuned for more to come there. When we look at our patient experience numbers, um, I am excited to say that they are also, both of them are trending upwards. We're not quite at goal, but we are definitely moving in the right direction over time. we are seeing steady improvement in our RN communication. Um, and we and this is really driven by our nursing team as they begin to uh, hardwire and roll out hourly rounding and leadership rounding, um, as well as to drive down to improve service recovery. And then across the system, we're really looking to uh, roll out our gift service standard to improve um, how we communicate with our patients, as well as additional communication tools, such as improved assessment Admission packets, welcome letters, and even communication boards, so patients really understand and have real clear expectations about what's going to happen with their care, Um, because we know that when patients don't understand, they get scared, and it's very hard to make scared people feel comfortable and safe, so we're really working on our communication. And then I know that there is a tremendous effort throughout the organization to really look at the comments when patients leave those during our patient experience surveying to better understand exactly what our patients need and to address those. There's an expectation that when there is a negative comment that it will be addressed um, and that we'll take a look at that and see what we can with a plan of correction um, to that comment. That is the end of the Trinorth metrics. Are there any questions?
0: Um, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm having trouble seeing my oh I see trustee esteem. Where's Trustee Banerjee? Trustee esteem. then then Trustee Banerjee.
2: Thank you for this report. It sounds like there's a lot of good work do, being done. Um, I just wanted to get a little more detail about the hourly nurse rounding, the nurse leader rounding. Can you explain that a little more about what that would look like?
9: Okay. Well, I'm not the okay, so I will do my best, but so hourly rounding is the concept that pay, that nurses will round on their patients on an hourly basis, right? And it's actually a way to structure your work. So it's not like an additional thing to do, but the idea is that you will check in on your patients at once an hour. And during that time, um you'll you have the opportunity to make sure that they need to go to the bathroom. They go to the bathroom. If they need their possessions moved to where they close to within their location, you can do so. Um, it gives a chance for the patients to get a sense of what's going on with their care. It gives a chance for us to make sure they're safe, that if they need to get out of bed, we're aware of that. And um, it's sort of considered from um, many of our Ganey as well as NRC Picker, and other sort of leading patient experience vendors all cited as the number one way to improve patient experience in the inpatient setting is to make that, to give nurses that time to connect with their patients um, and really see for their care.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that can be difficult to do if nurses are short staffed or if they don't, if they're travelers and they're not familiar with mm-hmm. all the processes. Um, how are the nurse leaders supporting that?
9: Uh, see, Dusty has her hand up.
10: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Ms. Gilliland, why, why, to why don't you go into them? Ms. You Ms.
10: There, and you did a great job, a very good <laughs> job. Thank you so much. Um, so hourly rounding you spoke to very, very well, and it's its not a new practice. And any nurse that's worked in any hospital has heard the terminology over the years. It's evolved um, from hourly 24-7 to hourly during the day and every other hour at night with intent of allowing patients allowing patients to rest. Um, it, is a, it is a struggle, to it's a challenging one to hardwire. I've worked on it in many organizations and um, the unpredictability of our environments at times um, and short staffing do impact that. Our current focus as we work towards hardwiring that is on proactive toileting with hourly rounds for our fall patients um, and building on that. That is an attainable next step for this organization, I believe. Um, and then leader rounding This is um, Rose Initiative, and and we've done some rapid PDSA of the process, and we have nurse leaders, which include our charge nurses, um, rounding. The goal is 100% of our patients every day, and we're hitting between 60 and 80% of our patients every day. Um, and that is uh, a tool in Syntax where the nurse leader or the charge nurse goes in and asks a series of questions of the patient about their experience. We went from um, a very standardized press gaining type tool to a um, abbreviated version of that tool, which is really more focused on building the relationship and getting to know the patient, understanding what's important to them. And I think that is the, the more valuable work and where many organizations have evolved to since um, since Studer and Prescani best practices were first introduced to the hospital setting. Any Thank other you. questions that I can support?
0: Thank you. That's it for me. Thanks, Ms. Gillen. I'll let Mr. Fraski, who's probably commenting on this same subject, and then we'll go to Trustee Banerjee.
5: No, actually, um, please, Trustee Banerjee, go ahead. I, I and I have uh, something just to mention, Trustee Bouquet.
0: Okay, Trustee Banerjee.
1: Thank you. Um, and I don't know who this question. So you know, uh, and that uh, I really yeah, the the dashboard is so good, but sometimes the numbers in context make sense. So the written report is really, really good, which gives the nuance in that. Um, The 30-day readmission, um, again, good to see that those numbers, those percentages, though we are missing it by a bit, Mm -hmm. but there's kind of variation and that San Leandro Hospital has such a low rate and that is bringing the overall aggregate percentage up. Does the 30-day readmission include John George? I wasn't sure. No,
9: this is just acute care. This is a traditional. General hospitals. Uh, yeah, okay. and this is the definition that's used by CMS in our inpatient quality reporting program.
1: I see. It would help maybe at some point in time if we had some stats on what the 30-day readmission in John George is so that we just have at the board level, we have like a full spectrum um, of that. Um, so is that is that data available?
9: It is, and they do track it on their dashboard. So we can bring that to you.
1: How, how is it just on, like no numbers not needed? Is it like, is it uh, their own um benchmark or their target like how are we doing with John George? So this is so this is the I will tell you, this, so Dr. Bouquet just said it's higher
9: because if you look at hospital compare, we all have a higher readmission rate for our psych facility. But if you look at us internally, we have a much lower readmission rate. And this is the problem with measuring a readmission rates internally is we don't get to see who returns to the hospital to another hospital other than than um, I see. John George, so like it, a lot of, when you look at psych readmissions, you're, you're not just looking at returning psych to psych. They're looking at, you come out of psych and you end up at Sutter because we're not taking care of the whole person, right? The idea is when you get someone in the hospital, you the idea is to take care of all the whole person. That's the focus of the psychiatric <laughs> readmission metric from CMS's perspective. And so um, internally we're doing very well, but I think it's because many of our John George patients don't return to our Highland or San Leandro or Alameda. Uh, medical centers when they readmit, right? Um, I think they end up at Sutter or some of the other facilities. So um, I would say that we're performing worse because I, I have to look at that external data, although it's much older than our internal data, right? It's about a year and a half old. Okay.
1: Thank, thank you. I would think that. And just from an equity point of view, because of our patients with comorbidities and uh, mental uh, behavioral health challenges, um, just making sure that we you know we are apprised of that. And the second thing is like with the ED waiting time again, I mean just incredible work being done and some of the trajectories are are there and we are missing it and it's kind of concerning to see as much red or pink as we do in the dashboard. so I know how hard folks are working. With the ED wait times, we do at some point—not in this true North metric—we do also track left without seen in ED. Yes. So that's a margin, like that's a revenue that is lost too. Like besides quality, when people leave uh, without being seen. So, Uh,
0: all right. Thank you. Uh, Anything else, Trustee Banerjee?
2: I have one other question. You, On the, the hospital readmissions, we don't tend to talk about it, but I'm curious how high users um, impact these scores and the readmissions. You know, what is the percentage of high users that have an impact? Um, you know, are we looking at like 1% of high users impact this score by, you know, 40%? Or are we looking at a real wide aggregate?
0: We used to track this data, and uh, just as you, your suspicion, trustee Esteen, and all that, and that give a little bit more quant is yeah, it's a minority of patients which are account for the majority of the readmission across common disease states like congestive heart failure, COPD, and uh, things like that. Miss Johnson,
9: yeah, I would agree with Taft um, or Doctor Buket. I just haven't looked at it <laughs> this year because we've been performing so well, but in historically. It it our frequent, hosp- our frequent flyers tend to be, um the most common cause for readmissions. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean it. It we sort of have this nice hit list of you know unhoused, comorbid with blankety blank, and so uh, I I think the organization has made some good efforts to target this population with our high high intensive care uh, group. Uh, Mr. Fratsky, sir.
5: Thank you. Um, today we held our monthly operating review, two and a half hour review um, and we hold them at the last at the last week of every single month at every facility. Today was San Leandro. San Leandro's scorecard when you look at it, and I just want to you know the comments about making progress are spot on. I and personally, I don't like looking at red. And we won't stop until we are green. But I can tell you, San Leandro, their harm rate is down significantly, and they are one metric away from this whole top being green. Um, it's and it's all it's related still to falls. Their falls were a little high, that kicks their harm rate up. But I can tell you, they're that close. Their readmission rate is five percent. Their time from ED to the floor is about two and a half hours. Um, or three hours, somewhere in there. So they've got their entire leadership team together now, and they're really starting to hit on things. I was also really happy today, Dr. Chen and Dr. Youssef um, were in the meeting, extremely engaged, and we really need our fellow um, physician leaders engaged like that, um, offering great ideas and insights, and um, and it was just so beautiful, if you will, to see the commitment, the accountability um, and the sharing of ideas um, to improve the care um, for our patients. And at this day, it was San Leandro. So I just wanted to share that, um, Trustee Bouquet, because we're on the rise and you're not we're not going to see it immediately on these scorecards, but we're going to get there.
0: Absolutely, sir. Uh, uh,
5: Dr. Tornabeni
11: Yeah, actually I I was able to quickly pull up some data uh, that um, Dr. Russoha had analyzed on readmissions, just going back to that high-utilizer question and I'm pulling it up here. So Dr. Russoha had done uh, an analysis on five years of data and had um, defined, high-utilizers are sometimes in quotes defined in different ways um, for the purpose of this analysis, it was 15 or more admissions in a five-year period. That's how um, he defined it for this analysis. And I'm um, using that definition of um, over 67,000 patients. That represented 250 patients, which is 0.37 of our admitted population. And um, But for total readmissions, those 250 patients represented 15% of readmissions. So great disparity in between you know, the, the total um, uh, volume of the population and the impact on the readmissions.
0: Absolutely, thanks for that data, Dr. Tornabene. Sure. Um, as we come to the, towards the end, I'm gonna compliment Ms. Johnson as I always do, because she's a nerd like I am. <laughs> and uh, uh, I love the data. I, like Mr. Fratsky, I hate red. And uh, you know we have a lot of red, 10 out of the 11 items on this dashboard are red. But this is where Ms. Johnson's kind of narrative, as uh, Trustee Banerjee alluded to, is so helpful. Of those 11, eight of those 11 are within 10% of target, eight of 11. So we're right on the cusp. Where we're really taking it in, 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 on the chin is on three things. Um, specialty backlog, man, we're getting crushed on specialty backlog. Uh, hand washing, what an intractable problem, um, uh, man, uh that we really got to dig into that one. And then the ED wait times. Those are the three which are outside of probably a 10% of target. But the other eight, to quantify where we are, we're, we're right on the cusp. Um, the other points of the discussion, I appreciated uh, the discussion between Ms. Johnson and Ms. Gilliland about about the hourly rounding. And like I said, uh, these are math problems. Uh, average nurse has a census of about five patients. Is that, is that right, Ms. Gilliland? four, uh, let's call it five for math sake. So that's five (laughs) patients rounding hourly is 12 (laughs) minutes per over a 12 hour period, five patients, that's 60 contacts and there's charting in between. So this goes to the question about resourcing our staffing, uh, you know, at, at, at four, you get 15 minutes, you know, at three, you get 20 minutes. So these, these are the math problems that we get to figure out to achieve these goals, right? How are, I, I also believe that that regular rounding is a really important thing and we can ask our nurses to do it but if we don't resource them to do that uh, you know 12 minutes per patient is hard um so the math math always sort of helps us through that um so with that I do have I some guess, questions with regard uh Miss Torre
2: to Trustee Bouquet sometimes yes, the nerd and the math make everything <laughs> seem really <boring. laughs> Simple, that's the through line. Yes, ma'am,
0: sometimes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, Ms. Torres, I had a question on part of your report and it goes to the culture of survey report. Um, I think it said in there, how long is that window open? How long do you think it would take to analyze the data? I guess the big question, when does that report come back to the trustees? Are you estimating uh, maybe our July meeting or is that a September meeting? How long does it take to analyze and execute?
7: I think we get it like in the May meeting,
0: Okay.
7: I think it's May, June. Okay. It closes in March. And then I think the data gets crunched like in April. So I think we might see it like May or
0: June meeting. I think it's only open for a three-week window. And I know that we're we're always trying to be better than the year before. I can't remember the exact percentage trustees. Do you remember how many people we got or, or anyone? Was it like 77% or something like that? It would be That's, great to break that.
7: Yeah, I think it was somewhere around 75, 76%. Okay. Okay. Slightly lower than the year before, but just slightly.
0: Yeah, so we're we're looking forward to that report. I know that's going to be hard work for your team. Yes. Um, trustees, any other comments on this section item D? What are the uh,
1: dialogue? I just wanted to say thank you to uh, Mr. Fratsky for sharing that. It's a beautiful thing to hear about how when um, there's this kind of collaborative problem solving, and really we are all on the same mission and the day-to-day grind sometimes is just so onerous and then being able to come and see how how progress is happening. So
0: thank you for that, bright spot. Agreed. Thank you, Mr. Fratsky. Seeing no other hands up, let's close out item D. Let's go to item E. This is our second iteration of, boy, a process which took, took us years to get to, to really put equity on our dashboard. Uh, for the audience who hasn't been here, uh uh we were trying, we remember that e equity is one of the E's of steep um safety, timeliness, effective, efficiency, equity, patient-centeredness. And we're trying to explode out equity as this uh it's the big circle around our strategy. So uh we've committed to deep diving on issues. This is this is the first time, this is the second time this board is doing it. We're still kind of trying to get our bearings with it with this regard, but I think what a great entree into kind of trying to figure out what what is in here in this murkiness. Uh, we're lucky to have Ms. Gilliland, who's already spoken for uh, this evening. She's our VP of patient care services. Um, Ms. Gilliland, if you'll walk us through this equity deep dive on the item of patient harm slash falls.
10: Thank you very much. Let me get us started with the slideshow. <coughs> Oops, can you guys see? No, ma'am. Oh, one second. All the buttons in that. I was all prepped and ready to go. Hold on one second. Share screen. There we go.
0: There we go. All it's right. not in presenter mode, but good enough if, if, if you have trouble now. Na- there we go.
10: All right. All right, thank you so much. I'm very grateful to be back here with you guys tonight. Um, As you so kindly introduced, we're gonna start talking about contributions to quality through the lens of equity. My focus tonight is gonna be on some of the work we're doing around fall prevention. Oh, huge huge thank you to Annette for supporting me and looking at the data. And I will preface this with, this is a first blush. So, we began looking at inpatient acute care falls. This is San Leandro, Alameda, and Highland. And we started to break up the data by ethnic group. Um, I think the most notable part of this slide first, you look at the highest fall rate per thousand patient days, and that is the Black or the um, patient of African descent at 3.11. Um, the most notable part of this entire slide, though, are the trend rates. So when you look at the different ethnicity groups, you'll see that the fall rate rises and falls, with the exception of the African diaspora. It has stayed flat across the last couple of years. This is data from fiscal year 20 to fiscal year to date 23. So that's what we want to begin to drill down into to understand better. Again, this is a first blush. Um, if you if you have questions as we go, please please pause me. I try to talk slow. I have a tendency to talk fast. Um, when you look at the second slide, it broke it up per hospital. And as you have already, I mentioned um, Taft, we have a, a thirty about thirty two to thirty five percent of our population across the organization organization is of the African diaspora, and that is true to Highland, that is true to Alameda, and um, it is. Uh, it's true to all three, I have notes on the side, organizations. No, with the exception of Alameda, which actually has a higher population um, uh, that is white. Um, consistently though, with Alameda and Highland, the higher fall rate is with the African diaspora. San Leandro, it is the white, the white population. Um, when we look at the drill down, which is the, why are people falling? What activity are they participating in when they fall? There's a common denominator across the population, which first shows that we have to do better with capturing our data because the, the, the most common denominator is there is unknown or an other activity is documented. So that means when we're capturing these in our safety events, we need to make sure we're doing the drill down when we close out the event to capture the cause of the fall or the activity being that was being participated in during the fall. So a little bit of work there to clean up our data. The next top shared event types across um, the highest populations of, of patients that fall are changing positions. And that can be from a chair or in the bed, um, toileting and transferring from one location to another, chair to bed, bed to gurney, um, bed to chair. So not a surprise. I think when you look at best practices around falls, um, you will see that a lot of it is focused on um, mobility efforts or toileting efforts. So fall prevention is a balancing act, right? Yes.
2: I'm sorry. I'm noticing that there's a couple uh, categories that say fall unknown and fall other.
10: So that's the way it's, so when, when patient falls, part of the follow-up process is to enter a safety alert. And in that safety alert, you document the elements that the activities that were, that precipitated the fall, what we did, what happened, whether or not there was an injury. And then when you close it out, you need to close it out and you need to fill in a a section that, that, that has a drop down with one of these other elements. Mm -hmm. Not all of them are closed out completely correctly, or it's unknown, right? The patient was found down right? I rounded in the room and the patient was already on the floor. I don't know what the patient was doing. The patient is confused and can't tell me what they were doing. So that would be unknown. And then other just might not be closed out correctly. So we're going to start working with our teams and making sure we've got all the data fields closed out correctly with as much detail as possible. So we can drill into that.
2: Okay, great. And I think, I wonder if some of this has to do with uh, visualization and Uh, You know, sometimes patients aren't necessarily labeled a fall risk, but they still are at risk, and so they're not being watched. How do we like? And I'm not sure if you're going to get into that um, for you know taking that into consideration, especially as we start to use virtual sitters. And I don't know if that makes it more accessible, or you know. But so curious. Great
10: questions, and we'll get into that a little more when I when I get there. If it doesn't fully answer, bring it back up to me, okay? Um, So balancing act. And I wanted to preface this, preface our interventions with, with what a challenge it is, right? It sounds simple, preventing a patient from fall. It's very important. But when you come into the hospital, you're acutely ill and we're focused on a lot of really a lot of clinical interventions. That's the priority. And often fall prevention falls to the wayside or it gets pushed down to that priority list. Right or wrong, there's a there's a lot going on and it often gets forgotten, um, and mobilization, mobilization matters, right? You can't just have a patient stay in the bed for safety, um, because they're going to decompensate. Decompensation causes other, other complications of hospitalization, pressure injuries, pneumonia, deep vein thrombosis. So mo- mobilizing them is important, um, and preventing harm. So you're, you're, you're always juggling all these interventions, right? What are the medical interventions? How do we mobilize safely and how do we prevent far- harm? we're doing all these things and we're also always focused on all these other harm prevention interventions right infection control um, medication management and again falls becomes lower on the priority list so how do we build enthusiasm around fall prevention when we are focused on so many competing priorities um interdisciplinary engagement and and dr bouquet i love i love the math problem i love that because it is a lot right and what some of the work we've done over the years is You make it part of every time you go into the room. So it's not like I have to go around every hour. It's like every time I'm in the room, I'm doing all the elements of hourly rounding, right? But it's still a lot, right? And a nurse does have an average of four to five patients. So how do we engage the entire care team so that they understand what that looks like? And so every discipline that goes in the room is also looking at the patient from a safety perspective and a fall prevention perspective. And then individualization, and that individualization, that really speaks to your question, Jennifer, about the assessment. How do we identify who's a high fall risk, why are they a high fall risk, and ensure that those interventions are individualized to prevent that patient from falling, right? And that everybody's on the same page with that prevention plan. So it sounds simple, but it's actually rather complicated. So first step is standardization. and How do we do that? Universal precautions. There are things that we implement for all patients, and that's kind of where hourly rounding came in as well. This is something we do for everyone, regardless of your fall risk, in order to create a safer environment. So that's orientation to the room. We familiarize, familiarize you with your environment. We make sure you know how to use the call light. We ask you to demonstrate that. Part of the rounding and part of the orientation is making sure you know that we expect you to have things within your reach and we expect our teams to check in with you to make sure that you have things within your reach. That includes your personal possessions. Falls occur when people are trying to get to things that belong to them that they cannot reach. Um, Again, a, a safe environment. It's always about every person that goes in the room assessing for the safe environment and that includes the bed position and the side rails in appropriate positions that's that's a real challenge especially in areas like our emergency departments where people are coming in out doing lots of diagnostics they're on gurneys side rails are important bed height is important it's also important to raise it to the height of the clinician to prevent workplace injury so remembering to always lower it and raise the side rails um, has been something we've been working on And that, again, is applicable to everyone. Um, Non-slip comfortable, well-fitting footwear for all patients. We offer non-skid socks. They are not always well-fitting. We do allow patients and encourage them to wear slippers from home. Um, Managing lighting at night, making sure we have the right lighting on so if a patient does need to get up and they're able to get up alone, they can see. Um, Floor surfaces clean and dry, making sure we're escalating um, the need to clean up spills promptly. Um, Keeping care areas uncluttered. Uh, following safe patient handling practices, so when we when we mobilize patients, are we using the appropriate assistive devices? Are we leaving the patients in the safest positions once we mobilize them? In case they need to be mobilized again for the next clinician, Do, will they have everything they need to safely mobilize? The last two lines, I have um, oh, fall assessments for admissions and reassessments every shift to include if there's a change in condition or if there's a fall, specifically if there's a fall, we need to relook at what we're doing, what happened, how do we do better? The last two elements that I have there in red are because this is something that is not fully functional at the moment, and we are working on this. So in our assessment, we learned that our bed alarms, they they are audible, but they don't all trigger call lights, and that has to do with the mechanism that, that goes from the bed to to the wall and the way it interacts with the call light system. Um, these these the cords that come from the bed that interact with the call light system have a lot of little pins, and when we're moving beds around a lot, they're easily broken. So we're working with engineering to create a process um, for a rapid uh, repair when this occurs. First, identifying where we need to do the repairs, and then a process for an ongoing repair process that's sustainable. And this work has been done and undone um, a couple of times at Highland, at least. Um, and then the availability of chair alarms for patients when they're out of bed or for use in beds when we use specialty beds. So this this picture here, you see, that's a... a mobile alarm, it's a POSI or Medline alarm, we're in the middle of changing vendors, but this alarm hooks to the pad. The pad is activated by pressure. When the patient stands up, it will alarm. These alarms go easily into our call light system. They will trigger the call light. They will audibly go to the central station and notify staff that the patient is getting up so we can rush to the room to assist if they have not called. Um, And it's the same device for the bed and for the chair. And then how do we individualize? So we use the Morse risk assessment in our emergency departments and our inpatient areas um, based on the Morse risk assessment. We will determine whether or not you're a high risk of fall. And then we'll implement the fall prevention um, bundle, which are the yellow socks, the fall risk span in a visual cue outside of the room or inside the bay to alert staff when they come in that this patient is a high risk for fall. Um, in the, Early phases of implementation, we are working with a bedside mobility assessment tool. This is a new tool that we have built in EPIC. We are just beginning a pilot at Highland on the eighth floor. This is an assessment that the nurse will do at admission and with changing condition that will determine what level of mobility the patient is safe to SAS at, and if they are not independent, it also guide the nurse to identify what assistive device the patient should have at the bedside. All of this goes into a care plan, and all of this can be discussed in our interdisciplinary rounds so that we're making sure the team um, is aware of the risk to the patient um, and the interventions we have put into place. Back to our hourly rounding, this is where this comes in as well. And really our push around hourly rounding right now, because of the high rate of falls around patients getting up to go to the bathroom is proactive toiling. So beyond, Hey, do you need to go to the bathroom? But I am here to help you to the bathroom. Let's go now while I have the time. I don't want you to have to wait for me when you're ready. So really being proactive versus having a patient that really needs to go and you can't get to them in time. And then bedside handoff and leader rounds. So bedside handoff is nurse to nurse handoff at the bedside engaging the patient where a fall risk should be discussed and the interventions to keep this patient safe should also be shared. Um, When we do our leader rounds, the first question in that tool is, is the environment safe? So really driving um, staff and leaders to really consider what that question means and to use and to look at um, fall prevention as part of that safe room assessment. Um, So shifting gears, best practices. So the Morse Risk Assessment has been around for a long time. There are um, other tools that do a deeper dive into an assessment and allow for more personalized interventions. We are exploring those tools. Um, The best practice would include Looking at your history of falls, your comorbidities, um, the medications you're on, whether or not you're continent, and then evaluating for any kind of environmental ass- um, hazards with the medical good condition or the required intervention, such as tethered equipment. Our current tool only looks at medication, continents, um, and environmental factors. So I think that we could create a more... Um, individualized risk assessment with a different tool. So that's something we're exploring. the ED had, had an unfortunate event at Highland um, earlier in the year. And some of the work we've done around that has been, we've been really challenged with the bundle, the fall bundle that I mentioned earlier, the socks, the wristband, and the visual cue. So we have ordered some, um, this is a best practice in many hospitals, we've ordered some yellow gowns. So based on the risk assessment, pa- placing a patient in a yellow gown, which is a greater visual cue, socks can get slipped off into the bed. Um, the bracelet is not easy to see if you're if you're under the covers or wearing something, and signs don't always get changed as frequently as they should. So um, we are going to explore um, with the value analysis committee the potential for doing a pilot at highlight us- utilizing a yellow gown. This is also awesome when you go to diagnostics, right? Because you can travel anywhere within the hospital and at a glance know this patient is a high risk for vault. Pulp for falls and then ask the question of what do I need to do when I mobilize this patient to keep them safe. So in summary we did identify the patients most likely to fall in our hospitals that data does need to be drilled down into to understand greater. Um Annette was fabulous and she sent me all of the detail in these safety events so I can sort it based on ethnicity and start looking at the story behind that fall. And that will help me determine whether or not we have um, other trends or behavioral issues that we could address in our prevention plan. Um, We're working on standardizing our approach universally, universally, and um, really looking at uh, how we, protect our patients when they're ambulating, transferring, and toileting. I think our BMAT assessment and our proactive rounding really address those most common factors related to falls. Um, We'll continue to look at best practices um, as we implement these new initiatives with the assessment tool and our chair alarms and assure that all of our alarms are communicating with our call lights so that we get early notification when our patients are getting up. Um, again, a, a huge thank you to Annette for supporting the data in this. Um, Fe Fei Tequamez have been driving these initiatives and these pilots on the Med Tele floors at Highland. We've also been working with leaders at Alameda and San Leandro, and we'll continue to do that as we as we do this work. Um,
1: and, and that's that's all I have. Do you have any questions? I I have one. Um... Uh, thank you. A terrific uh, presentation, and just so so valuable, so rich with data. Um, uh, uh, my ignorance here: Does the most uh, risk uh, factors uh, take age into consideration? As I know, we are doing race, but like, is that a, a, is age a, use? It was interesting to see that medication assessment and some of these are not considered in the. Uh, Within that framework, so um, so two things: one is age um, included. Age
10: is not part of the Morse and the fall um, risk assessments. I'm used to do address
1: age. So in in our individualized, and I think what you the two things that really stood out to me is the inter, uh, you know. Disciplinary, what what is it, interdisciplinary engagement and both the standardization and the individualization. So it's everybody's job. It's not just the nursing person's job. So like that socializing and normalizing and organizing and operationalizing, that is so important. So that really stood out to me. And then also, even as you're standardizing you, it's the individualizing it, I would think, I just thought that age would be.
10: Yes, in some tools it is. Um, and to speak to that, I'm going to still works from from Mr. Fratsky. It's beautiful to see that type of collaboration. If you've ever worked in an organization where it is on the EVS worker's mind, it is on the phlebotomist's mind, it is on every person that goes into that room, that fall prevention and that safe room assessment, and asking those hourly round questions, that is a beautiful thing to see. And that's that's our goal.
0: Ms. Gilliland, would you take us back into a full mode? Oh, yes. Trustee Esteen, I can't see where, there she is. Any comments, Trustee Esteen?
2: Yeah. um, I just keep thinking about the uh, the math and nursing uh, responsibilities with, you know, four or five patients in an hour, plus meds, plus admissions, plus discharges, plus, plus, you know, all the... Things that come up in the course of a day. And um, as we move towards virtual sitters, that means that we don't have extra hands on the floor and extra people who can help with these tasks. And I'm curious about uh, how this works with people who are coming in as travelers. And as we talk about accountability and uh, things that are standardized, new grads and all the things, how do, how do we navigate?
10: Great questions. Um, so the first one I'll, I'll take is the, um, the tele-sitter piece, the, the virtual sitter piece. The virtual sitter piece, it, when, when appropriate, and it's a deep dive assessment to determine that it is appropriate, but that actually puts hands back on the floor. Um, so currently, with with when we have a high right a high number of sitters on the um, the floors, we often end up being short because that was not the intent of of the budget when we rolled out the staffing plan for the year, right? So we're pulling CNAs to be sitters, and we don't always have the wealth of CNAs to backfill them. So by being able to use telesitter sitter when safe, we put those hands back on the floor to support that process. And I hear you loud and clear with with your concerns around. Um, nursing being able to do to hourly rounds. I I remember being a bedside nurse and the first time hourly rounds were introduced to me, um, my first response was, was, well, if you need something hourly, you should be in the ICU. I was a med surge nurse at the time and this was probably 15, 17 years ago. And actually, gosh, it was longer than that now. But <laughs> over time, I learned that if I do it every time I'm in the room and it's part of my assessment and process, it is more doable than I initially thought that it was. But again, being absolutely successful at making it change a metric really is dependent on that interdisciplinary process. Um, I did. I do have an experience at an organization where we had PT, OT, RT, lab, EVS. Everybody that went in that room, they would mark the time on the board that they came in, and the board would be covered in times. And it was just, it was, it was accountability for the team. It was, it was, it was. So the patient could hold us accountable as well, right? And everybody offered the the four Ps, and um, if they couldn't provide it, there was a process for escalating to get the right person that could. That was a two and a half year journey to get there. And that I think was, um, was fast. Um, it's, it's, it takes work. It takes engagement. It takes um, collaboration, but it, it can be done.
2: I love your statement that uh, tele sitters put, put hands back on the floor. Um, Cause I can remember as we were discussing it, we were talking about cost savings. Mm-hmm. And I didn't quite see the correlation between mm-hmm. staffing being present on the floor and the cost savings of the tele sitters. So I'm looking forward to seeing that data as it comes up next
1: time. Me too.
0: (laughs) Wow, Uh, so as we sort of come to a close on this, thank you, Ms. Gilliland. Um, As they say, uh, fascinating data uh, begets fascinating questions. I mean, uh, so what uh, great that we're starting here because there are so many questions, so many interesting, Why, why, why are African patients, why are they flatlined at a high rate and people are otherwise blipping up and down? I think Trustee Banerjee had some good questions. Beyond race, can we uh, can we further slice or dicer this into age? You know, intuition su- suggests that age would be a player. Is there is there a male female? You know, guys don't like to ask for help, right? Uh, is there a, is there a language issue which is going on? There's so many ways to to slice this, but what a great start to to the what a fascinating and critical question for us. So with that, I'm looking around the room for any other trustees, any other comments or questions.
2: Actually, I'm glad that you said that Trustee Bouquet. Is there any uh, desire attempt to shift away to another um, assessment tool aside from the one that we're currently
1: using?
10: Yes, I actually have a folder of assessment tools. Nilda, you've sent me some assessment tools. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really just creating the time and the space to really dig into them um, and make a decision on what we would like to pilot.
2: How are the the nurse educators supporting you with that?
10: Oh, that's another one of those positions we really need to fill. Um, But uh, we have a fabulous nurse educator on the MedTeli floors at Highland. Um, and so that circles back to your question that I missed around travelers and new grads, right? We are starting a new grad program and all of this information will be embedded in the, in the new grad and the, the new employee orientations. What do we do to prevent fall falls that's exciting. US? When yeah. is this new grad program? Oh, Go our goal. If everybody, I don't want to jinx us, but if everyone gets cleared and we start on time, it will be March 6th. So we're super close. Oh,
2: that's exciting. How big is the
10: class? So we have uh what do we have in the um floors we have four new grads gosh is it four or eight i'm suddenly drawing a blank we have just initiated um a handful of i think we have currently we had a couple that that decided to go back to their home home units but we did specialty to training in the icu Um, And I think we have three that will graduate there. And then we're working in the ED. And currently we have six, a mix of new grads and um, specialty training for the ED at Highland. And so that's incredibly exciting. And so where we haven't, so education department has has supported us in um, program development for the new grad program. And then we have been able to utilize some of our very talented ED nurses that also have a skill of of educating um, in the ED arena, because we haven't been able to fill that
0: position, Mm
10: -hmm. same for the
0: ICU. Mm
10: -hmm. So if you know any good educators, please send them our way. We have open positions.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Madam board chair, just by looking at the look on our other trustees face, it looks like she would maybe be interested in hearing about our new grad program at the HR, perhaps at an HR committee coming up. I or can't remember, uh, Madam Clerk. Is HR this month or next month? I'm sorry, March or or April?
1: It's in April.
0: Okay, I think that would. Uh, it sounds fascinating.
1: Yeah, and I think is this is this the USF thing that our uh, CEO had mentioned? No, no, no. This is this is a, our own regret. Oh, wonderful. Yes, for sure. I will. Pa- we will pass that mm-hmm. along to our HR okay. chair as well. Yeah, this is um,
2: fantastic. I mean, yeah. I tend to think, like you said, the ED nurses have education skills. I think that the best nurse educators come from within the system. Yeah. yeah.
0: Ms. Gillan, yeah. thank you for that fascinating report. And uh, I guess thank it starts you. with trying to murk through the data What fascinating yes. data. Absolutely. With that team, we'll, we'll close out item E. Uh, item F should be quick. It's pl- planning and calendar issue tracking. There should be nothing beyond the standard work set for the year Just to recall, Madam Clerk, I can't remember. We previously made comment about moving the November QPSC to after Thanksgiving. Did that happen? I can't recall.
1: No, it moved. uh, Yes, it's on the 29th, which means the packet will have to go out the day before Thanksgiving.
0: Got it. Okay. So uh, sorry about that. So um, um, with that, I think there's no other planning calendar or issue tracking trustees. Can you think of anything to add this agenda item? for the QPSC?
1: No, not at this time. Thank okay. you. That we've already
2: not discussed.
0: Okay. With that, we will close item F and um, audience, we're gonna move to closed session. We're expecting closed session to be hopefully less than 15 or 20 minutes. If you're not here when we get back, good for you. Um, so, uh, uh,
5: council? Thank you. Uh, the uh, quality committee of the board will now go into closed session to consider the items as stated on the agenda.
2: Good night, everyone. Everyone
0: have a good evening. Hi all. We've just returned from closed session, council.
5: Thank you, Trustee Bouquet. The Quality Committee of the Board met in closed session and approved the medical staff reports. The Quality Committee took no further reportable actions.
0: Wonderful. Uh, trustees, uh, audience, thank you. That's five minutes ahead of time. Uh, we are now closing the t- uh, February 22nd, 2023 QPSC. Everyone have a great evening.
1: Good night. Good night.